welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Love a happy church. Amen? Amen. God is good. Amen. All the time. Okay, you had it going there for a second. That's all right. That's all right. All right, let's uh, open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 13. Today we're going to continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew, a series I've entitled The Savior King and His Kingdom, and we'll open up this time with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the grace and mercy you pour out to us, and I lift up um, everyone here, everyone watching online, anyone who will ever watch this message online, Lord, and just pray, Lord, as they, as they take this time, as we have prepared our hearts through worship. We've, we've, been, we've prayed several times already, and we've lifted up some of, the, some of the big things in the world. Lord, we also want to lay down our stuff, God, because we all come with something. We all have our own issues. We all have our own cares, our fears, our worries, our hurts, our pains, our grief, our um, misunderstandings or not understanding. God, we have so much, God. And I lift all that stuff, and we, I just pray, Lord, you'd help us to lay it down just for a minute, Lord, that we might be able to sit at your feet and hear what your Spirit would say to your church. Lord, we, we, are, we are your people, called by your name, for your glory, that we, might, that we might see you better through this time, but not only that, but that we might be better prepared to help others to see you as well. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and love. We lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in Matthew 13 for a couple of weeks now, and Matthew 13 describes eight parables that Jesus used to describe the kingdom of heaven. The chapter, we're going to finish the chapter today, finishes with Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth. So we'll pick it up in verse 54. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, <clears throat> excuse me, Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where did where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. The previous time, if we remember, the previous time that Jesus was in Nazareth, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Remember that? They really, he, he's got a big fan club there in Nazareth, it looks like. He grew up in Nazareth. 
Joseph and Mary, um, they raised a family there. We, we know from this text that, 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 that they had, between the two of them, they had, they had four more, four other sons and at least two daughters. We don't know exactly how many daughters, but there were at least two. And, and all half-siblings of Christ. So he's in his town. Um, the, the scripture is silent about what happens to, to Joseph. Uh, we, the last time we see him in the scripture was in the account of their trip to Jerusalem when Jesus was about 12. And that's the last time we hear about him. And so the sense is, as we're reading, at this point, Joseph is gone. He's, 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 he has passed away. He apparently taught Jesus to be a carpenter. That was, that was Joseph's trade, and he passed it down to his son and probably uh, the rest of his sons as well. And so Jesus is, is coming back to his hometown. It's been a little while, not a long time, but a little while since he's been there. And, and he goes to the synagogue. That was his natural pattern. He, wherever he went, he went to the synagogue. It was his pattern growing up. Um, he went to synagogue whenever it was appropriate for someone of his age and background to go. He would go to synagogue. And it, and it was in the synagogue in Nazareth where Jesus learned about Judaism, learned about the Jewish faith. And it's very likely if Jesus is in, is in early 30s, it's very likely that some of the men that taught him about what it means to be a Jew were right there in the room with him at this time. So here he is, he comes in, and, he, and he's saying things that are astonishing them, like blowing them away. And they think, wait a minute, we know this guy. Where did he get all of this? And not only were they astonished, but they were also offended by him. Now that might sound kind of odd to us. Why would they be offended by him? Well, you know, the, the, there's, it points to a reality that we as believers need to never forget. You ever heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? That, that there's something that happens, and it's, it's part of human nature that the more familiar we become with something, the more common it becomes. And we have been afforded amazing privileges as believers in Christ, as children of God, as, as co-heirs of the kingdom of heaven, co-heirs with Christ. We have all these privileges, all these promises, all these glorious things. But the longer we're saved, the more likely we are to treat those things as common and ordinary. It's amazing that no, no matter what we are, and, and now you can, there are things you can do to prevent that, but if we're not deliberate and conscious of it, we cool to the things of God. We become insensitive to the small movements of God in and around our lives. Because when we were young in the faith, we noticed those things. We noticed everything that God was doing. We may not have understood it, but we looked around and said, ooh, God's there, God's there, God's there, and we were excited about it. Maybe we can remember. 
as you're reading your Bible, you know, maybe for the very first time and you're reading along and, and verses are jumping off the page and they're screaming in your mind the glory and majesty and power and, and love of God. And now we read it and it's just reading. We're just reading through it. Maybe in the past you noticed those little things that God was doing. Maybe you can go through a whole day and not realize that God's around it all. It's, what, it's, it's how we are. It's what, we, it, it's what happens when you handle those precious, amazing, glorious things long enough they become more and more and more common. What happened? Well, it wasn't God. God doesn't change, right? Speaking of Christ, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that the way you experience God, the way you experience Christ, the way you experience the word of God when you first got saved and all this passion, all this energy, all this, this you, know, you know, being blown away by it, he's the same God. So something has changed, and that change is in us. In Revelation, Jesus accused the church of Ephesus of losing their first love, saying, you loved me. Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, you loved me. What happened? What happened? Our natural tendency, it's just natural is to grow cold or cool at least, not cold, but cool to the holy things of God unless we're doing something to prevent it. Well, what can you do about it? That's a good question, right? What should we do about it? And not that any of you are dealing with this, I'm sure, because you're all amazing. First, we confess it to God. God I don't know that I have the same passion for you that I used to. I don't know that I have the same love. I don't know that, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it feels different than it used to. Not that we're about feelings. It's not about the feelings. But there, there, there's something we can sense in us. It's not the same, God. And, I, and, and something in me says it should be different than this. We confess that to him. And we tell him, God, that's, that, I, I repent of that. Uh, you've heard me say it before, if you're new here, I say repentance is one of the greatest gifts that God's given to the church. The fact that we can turn away from our sin and God forgives us of it and cleanses us from all unrighteousness is radical, and we ought to rejoice in it every time we get a chance to do it. It's one of the ways we keep our, our faith alive is repentance. You, you confess it to God, repent, and then pray a prayer like this one. In Psalm 118, 119, verse 88, it says this, Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Revive me. That when we find ourselves cooling, we can say to God, God, revive me. Do you know that it was God that breathed life into you in the first place? That's how you came into existence. God breathed life into you. Do you know that's how you came into existence spiritually too? He breathed life into you. Do you know that when you start to grow cold to God, do you know who's going to breathe life into you? God is going to do it. But you know what? He's going to wait until you ask. Wow. All we got to do is ask. 
And he does. He's the one. The Holy Spirit is the one who first gave, lit that spark of faith in you. And he's the one that's going to keep it burning hot. But we have to pour out our heart. We have to open ourselves up to him and say, God, revive me. Verse 55 also reveals something that we need to be sensitive to in our faith. Jesus in the synagogue, they knew him. He'd grown up in Nazareth. Nazareth wasn't a big place. Everybody knew everybody in Nazareth and, and didn't have a great reputation in the, you know, in the, you know, the country around them. But, it, you know, he, here he is. He grew up in this place. They knew him. They knew his parents. They knew his siblings. They, I, I'm guessing, if he was a carpenter, they probably had things in, her home, in, in their homes that he made or things that he repaired. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him. Oh, that's so, so important for us. Do you know that knowing Jesus is one of the conditions for entering heaven? In Matthew 7, 23, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? They say, Lord, 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 are we not your people doing your things? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Listen, if Jesus doesn't know you, then you don't know him. And if he doesn't know you, you're not going to heaven. Jesus must know you. You might know everything the Bible says about Jesus, you might be able to quote chapter and verse. You might be able to do spiritual rituals and sacraments and all that stuff. But if you don't have a real and living relationship with the Savior of your soul, then you're not saved. You don't know him. And he says, if you don't know him, he doesn't know you. That's a pretty hard thing. So what do you think we ought to do? Get to know Jesus really well. No, the Bible tells us that we can be assured of that. That when we confess, truly confess, God, I need you. He, he does something inside of us that this, this miracle takes place. And not only does he, does he deal with all of our junk, but he also sends the Holy Spirit who takes up residence within us. God lives in us. Somebody say hallelujah to that. You need that. We need that. That's how we know that we know Jesus. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you can't know Jesus. But if we have the Holy Spirit, you know him and he knows you and you have that living relationship with him that allows us to do all the stuff that we have to do in this life. Getting back to our text here, in Matthew, Jesus says that their response is not that unusual. In verse 57, continuing, he says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Uh, both uh, John and Luke 
quote this, this particular parable or idiom um, in their gospels. Well, it appears it was commonly known. It doesn't come from anywhere else in the Bible. It just is, they quoted it, so it was probably something that just people said um, during that time. And so it's, it's in all three of, the, uh, uh, three of the four gospels. Just think about that for a second. How tragic. Here he is. Who is standing in their presence? God in the flesh. The Messiah. Who is the Messiah to them? He's the one they're waiting for. For hundreds of years, prophets have been predicting and predicting and saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And there he is, in the flesh, telling them things that is, that is like astonishing them. Like, wow, no one else talks like this. Well, yeah, because he's God. <laughs> That's how God talks. The very hope of their faith stood before them. They're waiting. They're waiting for the Messiah. Everything they do, everything they talk about is all about this coming Messiah. Everything their religion was about, all the sacrifices, all of the offerings, all of the rituals pointed to this coming Messiah. And there he stood, right in front of them. One little problem. Actually, it was a not a little problem. All they had to do was believe. But they didn't. They didn't believe. And because they didn't believe, it was going to cost them something. Verse 58. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mark's gospel tells that Jesus did a couple of miracles in Mark 6, 5, and 6 says, now he could not do mighty work there, could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Listen, we've read enough of Matthew already. If you've read the Bible, you know Jesus did a lot of amazing things. Mighty works. I mean, he'd go to some place and people would, I mean, throng him with every sickness and illness and disease and blindness and lameness and you see, raising people from the dead, calming the storms, feeding the multitudes. I mean, he's doing all these mighty works. Then he goes to his hometown and he can do no mighty works because of their unbelief. Now, Jesus would have performed more miracles. Why? Because that's what he did. It was part of why, what he did as he, as he walked through the world to, to confirm and, and communicate the message. That he was, he'd, teach, he'd teach his message, and the miracles would, were the evidence that what he was saying was the truth. He said, hey, if you don't believe me, believe the miracles. But they refused to believe in Jesus. And because they refused to believe, he could do no mighty works. Now, now, the way I read this is there were mighty works that could have been done there. 
right? Do, do you acknowledge that? That, that if, if he could do it because of their unbelief, that means there could have been some because there probably needed to be some. One of the things this teaches us, it's a little hard for us to imagine in our minds, is to imagine that God is limited in any way, right? Do we not acknowledge that, that the idea of God being limited in any way is hard, should be hard for us to imagine because we believe that God is everything. He does everything. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful, almighty. He, all the words we use to describe the immensity of God, to think that God is limited, is beyond, it's beyond our, 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 our common natural sense. But God is limited by only one thing, himself. He is the only one that can limit himself. His sovereign will is the only thing that limits him. But we, we still struggle with the, using those words. For example, let me ask you a question. Does God want to save everyone? Yes. yes. God so loved the world that he, that he would save every last living person on this planet. How about those guys that were involved in the atrocities in Israel on October 7th? Does he want to save them? Yes. Yep. Could God forgive them and save them? Yes, he can. God does the impossible. For me, that pushes right up against the border of impossible. Can he save them any way he wants to? Any way he chooses to? No. No. There is only one way. God chose one way to save them. He's not, he has limited himself to say there's only one way for anyone, anyone, to be saved. You know the verse, John 14, 6. You know the verse, like everybody's got it memorized. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are ways that God has said, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it any other way. Saying this is the limit. This is the, this is the way I'm going to do it. Now, you can argue semantics. Well, you know, Jesus is not, you know, God's not limited. Yeah, whatever. I, I, okay, whatever, however you want to see that. But the reality is that when God says this is the way, this is the way. Now the world would tell us there's all kinds of ways to go to heaven, right? If you ask, if you ask, if you ask a Muslim how to get to heaven, he's going to have a different way than the way we have. If you ask a Hindu, well, I don't actually know what they believe about heaven. But anyways, <clears throat> there's different groups that have different ways. I mean, even, even in the church, there was some that suggest that it has, to, it has to do with, you know, your good works versus your bad works. If you, do, if you do more good deeds versus evil deeds, then God kind of puts them out of balance and says, okay, you're good enough, come on. That's not how it works. There's one way, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. God limited himself to saving people one way. Jesus didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He could have, but God says, faith must be present. Now, faith is not something 
we have so that we can be saved. Faith is a part of it, but it's not, it's not, why, it's not how we can be saved. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith is how we live. Faith is how we relate to God. Yes, salvation is a part of that because you can't relate to God if you're not saved. Hebrews 11:6 says this, without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen, faith is how God relates to us. Without faith, you're gonna have a hard time relating to God. And without greater faith, you're gonna have a hard time relating to God in a greater way. The degree to which we operate in faith, the degree to which our faith is real and alive and growing and flourishing will determine how we're relating to God. That's how he chose to do it. That's how God said, okay, this is how I'm gonna relate to the world. Now, God can do anything he wants. He does whatever he wants. There's no question about that. But he has created the system where faith is a component of how he relates to the rest of the world, how he relates to us individually. Faith is a key to experiencing everything that God desires to give to us. Jesus said, the text says, he chose not to do many miracles, mighty, mighty works that he could have done in Nazareth because they chose not to believe in him. They had an opportunity they could have, but they chose not to. Yeah, this isn't, you know, Jesus wasn't, you know, angry at them. He wasn't being spiteful. He was just operating within God's guidelines. This is the way God organized. This is the way God set up the system. This is the way that God said he was going to operate in this world. It's through faith. Now, one question that we, I think we need to ask ourselves this morning. Am I doing anything that is hindering God from doing everything he wants to do in my life. Because I believe we can. I believe we can stand in God's way. Are you doing anything that is hindering God from doing mighty works in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your community, in your church? Three quick things before the worship team comes up. And we're going to finish really early tonight, today, so just... Warn David, please. Somebody back there, warn David. Thank you. They're just looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, Chad. <laughs> Picking on Chad. Three quick things. Maybe I should take, maybe I should take some time here. No, I'm kidding. We're going to get done. First thing, is your faith real? Is your faith real? That's so important for us to answer that question. Because brothers and sisters, there are people in churches all around us who have something that resembles faith, but it's not. It's not real. It's not based on the truth. That's why we study chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible, because we believe in it, we find, we find that source of faith. And we find that thing that, that takes whatever it is that we believe and it conforms it into true, into real, into right faith so that we can believe. Is your faith real? 
The people of Nazareth, Nazareth knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him. And we all have to ask ourselves, do I really know Jesus? Does Jesus know me? And I believe we should be able to know that. To see God's power moving in us and through us, which, which is available. If you've got God, the Holy Spirit in you, you have the entirety of the, of the Godhead in you to do whatever God wants to do in you and through you. And he does it by faith. You must believe that Jesus is your Savior and your God. Second, is your faith living and active? Listen, listen, all of us, all of us can fall into this. We get so, life is busy. There's stuff going on. Anybody, anybody got stuff going on? I, it's like, I, gosh, can you just give me a break? Can I just take a weekend off? Oh, I can take a weekend off. No, I can't take a weekend off. I've always got this thing I do on the weekend. I can never, yeah, never mind. I get weekends off. Don't, don't pity me. I'm okay. I love what I do. But the longer we are saved, the stale our faith can become. Our faith can become stale. It can become just routine and, and, and ritual. And it requires that we're regularly doing something where we're asking God to revive our faith. Because if we're not doing something to actively stimulate and to revive our faith and to grow our faith and to make our, our faith real and alive, it's just, it's just a law of nature that it's going to cool off and become stale. Pray, ask God to revive you. I, I would do it regularly, often. Third and finally, is your faith big enough? Big enough. What can God do in your life? Can he do anything in your life? Can he do everything in your life? Is there anything in your life that is too big for God? Somebody say no, please. No. Thank you. No, there is nothing that's too big. How about too small? Is there anything too small for God to do? Nope. We were talking in the men's breakfast. We are talking about some of the stuff that's going on. And, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, God cares about all that little stuff. Matter of fact, it's some of the little stuff that has the greatest influence on your faith. You know, these little things that come up day by day, moment by moment, they come and they come and they come. But each one of them has the power to influence your faith to go bigger and bigger and bigger. But we also got to believe God for the great big things. We look around the world and we say, God, that's too big for me, but it's not too big for him. I don't know what to do about that, God. God says, I do. Why don't you just let me handle that one? But do you believe? Do you believe that he's big enough to do it? Do you believe that he cares about it? Do you believe that there's anything in your life that is, that is too big for God? If you do, you might be standing in the way of him doing something a mighty work in that thing. Now again, God can do whatever he wants, right? You know why? Because he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But the Bible tells us that faith is absolutely crucial in our walk with him. Believe God. Believe him for the impossible. 
Believe him for those things that you're, you have worn yourself out trying to see change or, or, or hoping that something is going to happen, that it just, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, the same nonsense is just there, and you cannot see any possibility of it changing, but God can change it. Do you believe that? Because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to believe. Now, that doesn't mean we're going we're gonna, to, you know, name it and claim it. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in positive confession or any of that nonsense. But we believe that God can. And if it's his will, he will. And so I'm going to hang on to that. I'm going to hang on to that for dear life. So those things that I cannot change, I cannot fix, I cannot, that are just annoying me, that are bothering me, that hurt me, that, that you know, cause me just misery and pain, whatever they might be, I'm gonna believe that God can. And I hope that he will. Believe God for the impossible. No matter how big, no matter how small, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 say this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above, catch that. Exceedingly, abundantly above. I love it when all those extra adjectives, is that the right word? All those extra adjectives are thrown in there. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Where is that power? Right here. Exceedingly, abundantly above. That it's so much. There's so much that God can do that you can't even imagine it. You can't think it. Why would we put any limits on God? Why would we stand in the way of God doing absolutely supernatural, miraculous things if we would just believe? Now, I don't know, I don't know absolutely everything that God wants to do. I cling to what he can do. And what he can do is beyond what I can think or imagine. It goes on to a little doxology at the end of that. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, all generations? Do you know who that talks about? Me? Maybe you too. All of us. God is unlimited. There is no limit to what God can do. But there's a limit to what our faith believes he can do. And that's a problem. And we need to allow God to do that work in us to grow our faith. Remember, one of the questions the disciples said, Lord, grow our faith. They asked him, Lord, grow our faith. We can ask the same question. Grow our faith, God. Grow it so that I believe you for more. Grow my faith so I can believe the miraculous, so I can believe the impossible, so that I can believe those things the rest of the world is absolutely cold to. I believe. Believe. And then you start living that faith out for the world to see. And then we will all experience, I believe, when we do that, when we all do that, we experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. That's what we're all waiting for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time 
in your word, and I pray for your blessing over it. And I pray, Lord God, that, that as we've taken this time to, to look at it, we've talked about faith, how important it is for us to have real and living faith. And that faith is not in something, something that, that, that is unreal. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It is in the truth of the word of God. And so I pray, Lord, that you would confirm in our hearts the reality of that, in each of our hearts, that we would believe that I know, I know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ saved my soul. He forgave me of my sins. He cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And he's made me clean. He's given me the promise of heaven. And he's also given me the promise of his presence in this life and the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide me, to lead me, to help me. Help me to believe that more and more every single day <clears throat> as I walk through this day. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do so, do so in great peace and power and hope. And Lord, if there's anyone here <clears throat> who doesn't know you, I pray that you help them to experience your presence right this very moment, to know that you are real and you came to save them. And you came into this world to die for sinners, every last one of us. And if we will believe that you'll do everything else, that you'll help us, you'll guide us, you'll strengthen us, you'll help us to live a life that is good and right. You'll help us through the difficult times, the dark times, but you'll fill us with the joy and the peace and the hope that we need. I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would grow our faith, that we would believe you for the impossible. And we'd help others to do it as well because we know that there are people around us who are struggling to believe. Help us to help them that they might see you more clearly. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.